OTB Rugby. The last thing you want to do is actually give inspiration. That said, you can talk all you like when you've had three man of the matches in eight games. You know, you're delivering on the pitch. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. Yeah, hello, welcome actually. Uh, sorry, I was uh, in my own world there. I was t- trying to uh, explain that Gary Cronin will be here very shortly. But again, Brent Pope is like, it's impossible to get a transfer around Dublin, uh, which it absolutely is, particularly a day like today. So Brent was a couple of minutes late. Gary Cronin, the Bohemian assistant manager, uh, will be in very, very shortly um, to talk about a somewhat nervy win for uh, the Gypsies last night against UCD, who produced a very spurred performance. Tabletoppers, bows um, going very strongly at the moment. Football Saturday is brought to you by Sky. Get all the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sports uh, and Premier Sports. And we'll be here for the next couple of hours. It's a fascinating uh, day with action across uh, Channel. And uh, yeah, if you're a Galway Knight fan as well, you're hoping that Waterford uh, come up uh, short against Bray Wanderers. Dan McDonnell, how are you? How are you, Johnny? You, you were a bit frazzled there. You, like, you were just... I was like... <laughs> they were outside. Like, this is behind the uh, behind the scenes where it's like, Johnny, we're on air... Harry Cronin is here. Yeah, we're on air in 40 seconds <laughs> and you're walking in the opposite direction from the studio. It's like, does Johnny realise that? Like, I think you're still frazzled by Devon Toner's I, height. I, I wanted to put up a selfie with Brent Pope, but I wanted to ask him alone because I couldn't ask the other two. Devon Toner's is way too tall for me to get in a selfie. I Just just look. a photograph, you mean? Not a selfie. Sorry, I took, yeah, I took yeah, you the took the photo, yeah. Sorry, a selfie. Gary Cronin and is just about uh, making his way in um, Bows are going so well now he can just show up late for a national radio appearance how are you big man? not too bad yeah um, I was like come on you can come on Saturday I expect that you should be able to beat UCD and you're just like well actually in my days at Bray we started really well and then we lost against two uh, very good sides so don't be counting your chickens and you weren't actually far off yeah it was, it was a tough game last night and mm. UCD played very well so Getting the three points was most important. Um, lads showed good character to come back because we missed a penalty right in the stroke at half time. Mm. It was actually the last kick. I think the ball is still travelling down there. Yeah, it was, it was something it. like you'd see in the Lands of Road today, actually. <laughs> cleared the air by about uh, eight, yeah. eight buses, actually, to use the analogy of our times with bows. Um, you got through it in the end. You're sort of thinking at that stage, maybe it's going to be one of them nights. Mm. Um, and. Yeah, we had a good start to the second half and got our goals back. So we could have won by more in the end, but at the same time, UCD were a threat. So it's uh, it's a good three points. Andy Myler as well. Um, I mean, I met him was it before the cup final, and he was just like, ultimately, the League of Ireland needs professional teams in the Premier Division. It needs teams that effectively aren't our model. And you're like, the job he did last season, phenomenal, really. Yeah, now Andy, a long time, and he he he, he thinks very well about the game. Um, He's played the game obviously at a high level. He was centre forward. He was a goal scorer. He's very knowledgeable, and he obviously works on in UCD as well. So he's a great fit for for UCD. And yeah, I I, I couldn't believe that he kept him up last year. I have to say, mm. I, to, I was at that playoff final. Um, the whole goal. It's a strange one for for players that were playing UCD last year. We, yeah, we 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 sort of felt that at the start of that season they had to go through thirty six games for one game. Yeah, um, because realistically, it was the the bottom two that they they were going to finish in. Um, so they were trying to avoid the the automatic re- relegation and get the playoff spot. So twenty six games to get that one game. I mean, they got it. They won it one nil. I was at the game. I think we were all at the game and deservedly won the game on the night against Waterford. Uh, yeah, we're going to chat plenty of League of Ireland uh, over the next half an hour or so, and. Um I don't know. I mean, every, every night just kind of surprises me and makes me smile at the moment. Jack Byrne's goal last night. Uh, texting him today, he said it was almost out of frustration that they haven't scored more goals. He, he almost said, I, I took that shot out of anger. It's like, geez, you should be angry more often. 
Yeah. <laughs> unbelievable. Like, unbelievable strike. There was a couple of good good, good strikes there in that game last mm. night. Jake Moraney's goal as well was a fantastic strike and uh, Richie Held's good finish, composed finish as well. But, um, yeah, you're just waiting for waiting for Rovers to, to get that win. We're all waiting for it to happen now at this stage. And I look at the six games in and, you know, zero W and five draws and, and one defeat. And I had that exact same start as manager Brady year before last and you just sometimes you don't know what's, what's going wrong here like, pretty you know. sure you won in Galway I was down there the and then won. yeah I remember the, the that's music right. in the dressing room yeah. our seventh game was a, a 94 minute win down in Galway mm. so it's coming hopefully as we play Rovers in the eighth game hopefully to get the win in the seventh game who do you have next in we have Sligo away I yeah. think Rovers have done dog yeah, yeah. Gary you got to be yeah. careful when you talk about Bowes Rovers now your yeah, comments, your yeah. comments are now all of a sudden I know, have to be so like you have to be uh, <laughs> you just have to be very wary of this but, uh, last night Dan um, Rovers quest for a win goes on but for me the narrative here was Tim Clancy getting Pats to get a, getting a good result from Pats the mad thing was though an unbelievable save from their keeper to, to, to stop Jack Byrne and get the winner for Rovers there was so much going on in the last 10 minutes yeah I, I didn't see all of the game but I, I saw the the dramatic ending and this is the thing like Rovers last season you feel like they would have scored in that late rally like they actually were hammering the door down in injury time Tim Clancy got sent off after a corner was awarded to Rovers at the end and it was very similar to do you remember the Rovers Shells game towards the end of last season where Rory Gaffney scored I think Duff went mad at a corner being awarded in like the 97th minute now to be fair I don't having not seen the game I'm not sure what the as in the full game I'm not sure was the issue with the number of minutes or what because I think they did say four minutes I think when the corner was given it did seem to be within the time roughly um, but I can understand like tensions are very high on the sideline like Tim Blancy's coming into it under a fair bit of pressure and I mean I know you talk about the Jack Byrne goal and rightly so like it's it's it'll probably if we had a proper goal of the season competition you know it'll be in it um, but the Mulraney one um to me, just it almost had a not not. I think the Jack Barnes goal was a better goal, but there was just something about the delivery of the Moraney one in front of the Rovers fans with three minutes to go when defeat is about to send you like spiraling probably into like a real serious crisis talk. And like Mulraney hadn't started like the big winter signing, and he seems to be in and out of the side. In fact, Clancy made a number of changes again yesterday, which has been a bit of a recurring theme. Like he's he's changed it from week to week, so he's really reaching around looking for some kind of solution. And what you're in Tala, like seven and a half thousand people there. Mo- although I think it was a substantial away support, but still like majority home fans. And it's the type of game you're thinking, yeah, a team that's that's in a bad way loses that game, and they didn't. You know, and and it just you kind of wonder: Are we looking back and that goal in like two months' time, three months' time, as really significant or not? I think after the break, Pats probably have a a, a couple of games they'd be expected to win. You know, as much as you can't really expect Anton in the league at the moment, um, but they have a, a generous enough run of fixtures after the break where they'll need to show that they've actually built from this, and it wasn't just like a just a one-off moment of brilliance that sort of. Uh, is deceiving in some way. Did you did you miss Mulraney's run then when he basically ran like almost half the length of the pitch and Gannon? And the little chop him. inside, yeah. yeah. I think like the, the, the Rovers thing to go back to it though, I mean like the Pats thing felt like a, you know, it's a it's a bigger story coming into it. But I mean if you look at it and Gary can't get involved in this really because Bowes <laughs> are one of the teams. But like they, like they played Dundalk, Gary's fairly old. They played Dundalk away and they played Bowes away. Now I think in a normal season, to be fair I don't think anyone at Rovers would be losing their head if they went to Dundalk away and Bowes away 
and didn't win either of the games. Like you know, you could you could you could argue that if you got a point in each of those venues, you'd probably say as a manager, oh yeah, not a bad point. But when you haven't won and you're getting to the stage where you're nearly getting through an entire series of games without beating anyone, usually at home is their last game of the the series. Say before that, as you say, Pats have three easier games without a shadow of a doubt coming up. Pats and Rovers are on the same point, yet all the talks all, all, on, on the same points, all the talks being about Pats and Tim Clancy. Well, yeah, but I think that's because Rovers have won the last three league titles mm. and they haven't won a game yet this season. Um, and th- there is a sense that also though within that that they've, they've started slowly and you know they, they have a bit of a history of being slow starters and there's no real sense that they've been playing particularly badly and I take your point sorry the, the, the three in a row probably would back up the point that we should be more about Rovers the Pats thing is p- probably because the nature of some of their defeats like, I don't think Rovers have had a game where they've been opened up or they haven't had a game where you know you sort of it feels like it's been a series of catastrophic things that have gone wrong for them at various times like red cards and concessions but to, the one thing for me it's a slight red flag and I think someone I saw someone make this point last night they're not playing badly and they haven't won but it's natural the teams will have a stage where maybe they're not playing as well then you know and there's, it's the sort of response I mean last night I, I don't know it looks like they made a couple of changes to try and just close out the win they did you know? which was mo- a little yeah. unlike Rovers Medi- Medi- well you can imagine they haven't had the win they're in a position and you think okay let's just manage this game and see it out and then they concede and that's you know they're the little things and they go they go away now into two week breaks. I don't have two weeks to to put it right. Honestly, so. Dan Jack Byrne, how he, how, how he doesn't score a third. It was an unbelievable um, unbelievable save. And Pats have had serious issues with their goalkeeper. They bring in a, um, they bring in a, a, essentially a kind of a backup keeper last night. Um, I think Linus, he's, he's from he's, I think he's a Birmingham lad. Is he? I don't know. I think so he's he, Birmingham. Maybe he's he, an interview after the game. He was playing in Scotland. Like, what, what what I love about the you know I love about the season. You're obviously loving the season, guys, because you're top of the so, table so far. Yeah. You're loving. Yeah, so far top of the table, but like Sligo go to Derry last night. Probably should have won the game. Really, they missed an absolute sitter. Cork City uh, went to Sligo the week before. Should have beaten Cork. Probably should have beaten Shamrock Rovers, given the situation that they were in. Drogheda have been extremely competitive so far. Pats and Rovers are in the bottom three. Dundalk are third, and they're only getting going. Shells batter Cork last night. Every week, they're. Uh, I'm sp- speaking to one man this morning. Goes every week, they're like four real games. You're like, oh Jesus, yeah, this. It's so competitive, and that's why Tim Clancy is under pressure which is nuts really when you think about it such a promising manager he's under pressure because if they lose last night it's like well you know you're, you're second from bottom and all that every week there's so much pressure because of the, the competition Yeah well, look I, I, I was in relation to last night for, for Tim four on the bounce would have been tough to take as any manager when you lose yeah. four on the bounce um, and it's just it's amazing what a week in football does you know you, he's going into you know the weekend the game on the back of a win against Shells lose that game heavily and I think they're still trying to you know recover from that defeat you know yeah the Sligo and, Sligo Roberts one was bad yeah and then obviously yeah look in the, in the nature that he conceded the second goal was was frustrating for Tim uh, you could see it in him but listen um, you know you, you got to stick with that and, and it'll turn from you know and, and, and last night's result is an excellent result for um, for uh, for Pats obviously <laughs> the situation that I'm in now no sympathy in the tour game we went out to beat Pats and we beat them 2-0 and we were happy with that but look it's uh, that that was a week of football that was three games and a week later there are three defeats what about you and, uh, p- p- yeah. that, 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 that position what about you Gary I mean I suppose people maybe aren't aware like this is your 
Is this your first season working full-time in football? I'm trying to think across your playing career at any stage were you full-time at any club? No, I had a couple of years over in the UK with Middlesbrough yeah. as a kid and then any time I come home then from League of Ireland I had a stint at St. Pat's when I was in between what I'm going to do with life and um, decided to go to work and, and do the League of Ireland part-time and, and work. Yeah. So yeah, to answer, answer that question and I think I, I said it just before I had this you know, born an ambition to to to, play, to do full time football in League of Ireland, and uh, so when the opportunity came around with Declan, I, I was I was glad to take it. Yeah. Do, do you know yourself now? Because I assume the last couple of years it's it's been busy trying to juggle work, and now you, you actually can just concentrate full time on a football job like that. Like, is is it is it better? Is it worse? Like, do you have, are you still thinking? Of, I mean, you're probably thinking about twenty four seven when you're a manager. Is it any different as an assistant? No. Like, what's the no? No. In that respect, no. You're still thinking about it twenty four seven. You know, we're all there to help each other. I'm here there to help Declan and and Detter and and and, and likewise them to me. So constantly, you know, preparing and, and and getting ready for the next session and the next game and. Am we enjoying it? Yeah, because we're you know we're winning at the moment, which is a great feeling. So, it's uh, it's it's definitely something that I, I'm sort of a different person at the moment. To be perfectly honest mm, with you, you know, I saw. because you're not you don't have the pressures of forty hours a week in a day job, then having to perform at a level um, of League of Ireland, then to get results. So now I, I look at it and go, if anyone wants to achieve anything in the professional game in League of Ireland football, it has to be full time. Yeah. You can't have the distractions of anything else other than your football job. Um, we'll talk about this a bit more maybe afterwards, but uh, you speak about full time, and it's it's been spoken about a good bit this week. Stephen Bradley spoke about in in light of the under 17s amazing achievement under Colin O'Brien and all that. Um, we need money for academies in this country, and the I think I actually get to you as well, Dan. Some of the stats in terms of the numbers of people actually working in club academies in this. We country. could probably start listing them off in yeah. two minutes and have them all. Yeah. Mm. all the full time we are an outlier in European football, oh. a massive outlier, as are Northern mm. Ireland. Well, one of the four countries in Europe that doesn't have uh, at least one full-time academy staff member. That was club. from Will Clark, was which it? Which is, yeah, for, who works for the FBI as well, which is actually refreshing The people in the FBI are actually acknowledging it rather than sort of trying to find some convenient stat that makes everything look good. Like, I think the only way to improve is to acknowledge your failings or acknowledge, not, acknowledge your weaknesses, I suppose, you know, in the sense of what you need to do to be better. And it is like, it is striking that Ireland are going to compete in, in that European Championships in May Um I mean, qualified ahead of Italy, but I think you know you'll assume there'll be a lot of the top nations in the world there. You know, all of the players at that stage are at an age where you'd imagine a lot of them are working full time with full time coaches who, as guys, aren't sort of trying to coach while doing other things on the side. Mm. So people who are devoted, you know, all and I'm not saying that this, clearly the standard of coaching here is good because these players are achieving. But just imagine how much better it could be if some of these volunteers that we're relying on had even more time to devote to it had even and had better facilities to work with that they're not like in some cases stressing about booking pitches and, and you know like dealing with sort of you know admin in a lot of cases like you know you've, you'll have people who are working full time as academy heads who, who might spend a lot of their time doing admin you know, or dealing with doing jobs that in other places would be delegated to someone else, so you could actually strategize. So, like, our hands are completely tied behind our back in in this country in terms of what we try and do. And yet, actually, 
doing pretty well and like it has to like it has to focus the minds because naturally like people look at the you know people tune into these big tournaments these underage tournaments and like it's just the nature of it like you can get these discussions going in February it's like you know when it's a quiet time but like in May everyone will probably be watching these games presumably they'll be on in some in some forum and people look at the players and it's great that there's 16 of them from League of Ireland clubs and that's terrific but you can't really look for a pat on the back on that it's more a case of just getting people energized and alert to like what's wrong with this I, I think I think it's I, I think it was a national scandal that we exported so many young kids in this country and thought it was grand and like let them off and for England look after them including Damien Delaney who was one of the um, prodigies who obviously went to England had a great career which makes you an outlier demo probably one of the very very small number of percent not to mind to play Premier League level but to play um, I suppose professional football in England um, welcome to the show first of all Hi Johnny how are you yeah good um where are you on this debate because there there seems to me now like there's a sea change maybe in terms of the narrative uh, in the doll in the sense that well if we're throwing all this money at various other sports um, including money from betting and towards greyhounds and horse racing could we not be able to fund a couple of academies in Ireland and actually uh, help this country finally fulfil its football potential well yeah that would be the dream really um, you know and I think that might be accelerated with the, the fact that a lot of kids can't go to the UK I think for many years that was a convenient route but as soon as they, they turn 16 or, or eligible for, for first year YTS or the equivalent now of what it's called then you know it was just easy to outsource it I suppose um, and that was just a natural route but I suppose with the, the rules changing and Brexit coming in um, we definitely listen obviously in an ideal world we could still you know use academies around Europe but in an even more ideal world you'd want to have something here for them because that two years of development you know that they, that they would have got in the UK at full-time academies and um, that some young fellas might miss out on that's a pivotal two years you know that is where you kind of figure out about being a professional um, and we can't have a generation or generations of kids missing that window um, so I think it is a an immediate problem um and you know we might not see the benefit or the, the the detriment of that until further up the road you know in a few years time when we're trying to produce players for the senior team Damon with all due respect to the 17s does it or sorry with all due respect to the League of Ireland does it surprise you that a, an essentially not fully but nearly homegrown under 17 squad can achieve what they have um, it doesn't surprise me because you know, knowing Colin O'Brien and, and, and Dave Myler, you know, they would have got the lads motivated and organised, you know. Um, but if you're looking to maximise it, you know, you don't want, you can't just say because Colin O'Brien did it with the 17s that that's now the norm that we can do it and we don't need academies. You know, you won't always be producing generations of players. You'll have to work with kids um, to be consistently doing it. You know, that could turn out to be an outlier in the future. Um, you know it's difficult but you have to have kids in, in, in full time football or well maybe not full time football but you know you have to be have contact with coaches and grass and, and learning how to be a professional footballer that's their formative years um, and you know the League of Ireland has done great but you know training on Tuesday Thursday nights uh, doing gym sessions before or after school or whatever their situation is it's very, very difficult, and you know, I don't think that's conducive to consistently producing young kids. Yeah, I, I think Johnny, it must be said that the 17s qualifying their age, like we have qualified for those tournaments at that level before. What it's shown is that um, the switch from maybe the old model of 
you know, the people with schoolboy clubs to towards League of Ireland clubs hasn't been an issue in terms of their ability. And hopefully some of those players are getting... Like, I remember a couple of years back speaking to Cuevin Kelleher, uh, who qualified, like, he was part of an Irish team in an under-17 tournament. He was at Ringmatten at that stage, and he was only going to Liverpool, I think, that summer. So the big age group really is under-19, in the sense of looking at the under-19 squad that was named. Uh, they're playing actually in Wexford in the in the coming week in their qualifiers and it's going to be really interesting to see how that group do because that squad like includes the likes of say a um, couple of lads who've gone to England over the winter you know the, the sort of generation of like Franco made down in Cork and Marco Matany and there's a kid from Cliftonville in there and uh, Sean Grehan who was, uh, was sort of with bows and, and then sort of left and, and that sort of crop of lads and they are the ones that have spent in a lot of cases you know 17 Justin Ferrazai like they've spent their couple of years in Ireland when they probably previously would have gone away and let's see how they do and as we know as, as Gary knows like you've got James McManus in, you know, who's doing his leaving cert mm. and training with Bowes Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday or whatever days you're doing in the morning and then doing a school. The only real option, and this is going to be the issue with that under-17 team, those who aren't already, if they want to f- train full-time, as Damo mentions, they basically have to go into first-team squads. That's yeah. the only place in which they can train. And that's great if you're, like, you have people like a mentality like Evan Ferguson and Gavin Bazunu, and we see these who are almost ahead of their age in terms of maturity and, and mentality. Oh, almost about it. Yeah, exactly. And um, But clearly there might be some lads at this age here, 16, who may be better in with a full-time under-18s because they're just not, you know, they don't want to be around senior men at that stage. How does that work? And that's the issue we have here. How does that work in terms of education then, guys? Look, the, the James McMahon is a perfect example at the moment. James cycles into training, um, does his training in the morning with ourselves. He's an outstanding young footballer, just turned 18 there the day before Paddy's Day. And... Um, you know, then off he goes on his bike and he goes ba- back to school. You know, education is massive. Mm. As as a parent, you want your you want your child to be able to mix education and and sport. I look at the, the likes of Robbie Benson for um, for Dundalk. He has his uh, qualifications masters from UCD, yeah. and he's a professional football player. And as a parent, that's what you want. So James McMahon is academically really really good, and he's an exceptional footballer. I mean, he's an exceptional footballer. He he's played the last three games for us. And he, he's around the midfield, really? so yeah, absolutely. I have no no problem saying that. And that that lad has a bright future in the game. Um, he's so technically technically good. It's it's, it's frightening. Um, I mean, when when you have somebody like Keith Buckley turn to you in the dressing room and say, "I feel like I'm playing with a 30 year old beside me in an 18 year old's body." Wow, you know. And that's I love the line from Decky where he's like, "I I, I uh, love um, watching him play. I, lo- I love watching him train because I can learn from him." Yeah, yeah, but to get but to get back to the point yeah. though, like he, he he has to be in the first team to get to train as much as he can. Yes, yeah. So the model there, I, I mean, Rovers had that with, with with some players as well, where they had an agreement with their their, their college or their school. Ashfield, yeah. yeah. How do you do it with players that aren't absolutely outstanding though? So like, the, as Dan is kind of almost saying, some players are probably in, a, in between a rock and a hard place. Like they need education, but they also need to be full time. Yeah. Well, look, for, for me, you need to get dedicated schools towards that. Who like this is what we do, because you're right, you're not going to produce every single player. It's not going to be of of, of Premiership standard or or La Liga standard, but. You know, you, you need to tie in with these schools to um, to be able to give a platform for these lads to do the education and, and professional football. But on Damien's point there, at, if they're good enough, they have to have full-time football. They can't be trying to just choose it and towards it and expect them to be uh, future uh, full internationals in the, in the but future. It, 
it, it, sorry, but isn't it important as well that you know some kids are extremely talented and, like you said, way ahead of their age group, and they're able to come into a, uh, an Irish Premier Division team and train? But there's other kids who might not be developing as quick, and then. Yeah they're going to get thrown into a first-team League of Ireland and they're going to get swallowed up because of the levels and the intensity. You know, uh, they need to train in their own age group. Um, and then when they graduate from that, it needs to go up. So that kind of brings it full circle to the, the point that we have to have the academies, you know, and they have to get full-time academies. It's easier said than done. And, you know, I suppose, I don't know if the government are going to throw money behind it. Um, you know, that might not look great when you look at the history of the FEI. Um, you know, it might be difficult for that, but we're going to end up hurting ourselves in the future if we miss out on generation after generation a kid yeah, yeah there is a proposal I, I, going to government I think yeah of course. okay yeah Dan we might talk about that more after 3 o'clock um, just very briefly do you have any interest in rugby today lads I was listening to the show on the way in that's us that's that's it, Dan. I yeah. wouldn't be no. Yeah, it, it, it just does go to show like that there is. We have a big week ahead as well in terms of the football, and uh, not everyone is actually infatuated with rugby as well. So there is, there is, and uh, we get into that debate as well. Like, where does Irish uh, football go in terms of getting, I guess, the recognition it deserves? Because there are other sports, obviously, that are probably better looked after. I would. <laughs> We're argue. not getting into that debate, are we? Oh, <laughs> yeah, we are. We absolutely are. We will be back after break. We've loads to discuss uh, and loads to come uh, with the three lads. Football on Off The Ball With Sky Watch Premier League, Women's Super League Scottish Premiership and much more Live on Sky Sports Welcome back Yeah, it's uh, one of those weekends That it's just great to be alive If you're into sport Between uh, Cheltenham uh, The League of Ireland Ireland having two big games Coming up And of course uh, The Six Nations today Loads going on In the Premier League as well Just to mention The games that have started I uh, don't think we have Any goals so far Um Villa v Bournemouth, Brentford v v Leicester, uh, Southampton v Spurs. Um, obviously a big, big game uh, for our own uh, Gavin Zuna. We're going to talk about Ireland uh, later on in the show. Um, Wolverhampton Wanderers v Leeds United. Later on, Chelsea v Everton, and of course Manchester City v Burnley. We will speak about uh, the homecoming of Sorcerer for Vincent Company. And well, Dan, it'd be remiss of me not to mention Blackpool and Coventry City. You slag me every week, but this is actually a big game for two. Uh, at least two young Irish starlets. Um, Andy Lyons getting a couple of goals during the week for Mick McCarthy's Blackpool. Yeah, you uh, you haven't mentioned Luke McNally yet. Uh, well, there you. Why are you mentioning well, well, Luke you, McNally? You said Blackpool Coventry was a big game. We didn't explain the context for people. Uh, so you're Black- expecting people to be tuned in. We well, regular, regular shows know that you're you're constantly sniping me because uh, fan of our podcast, Luke McNally. Yeah. It's like, it's <laughs> um, like Johnny's mates, you know. And, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't go as far as say mate, mate, be acquaintance, but, uh, but he's actually doing very well. Invite if ever got married, like you know, just to have a good table of kind of. Johnny, if you get married, you'll just you'll invite none of your friends, and you'll just invite various hangers. Hangers on from the <laughs> one time politicians. You send them out, and like whoever's in vogue that week, you'll Brent invite Pope. them on WhatsApp the week. But Brent Pope will be there. Devon Toner going, Devin What the hell's Toner, going on? Yeah. Guys, you'll come, will you? I'll be there. I'll cycle in for you. Yeah, yeah. Ah, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't even know what I was talking about here. Yeah, so we'll always get through. Uh, uh, um, yeah, a few of us are in the same boat with that, Johnny. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's nice. Yeah, it's good. Good. Good to see you've. Uh, yeah, good to see you're enjoying uh, the show as ever, Dan. <laughs> um, yeah, just just on this debate though, uh, I, I I don't know. You you mentioned this and you alluded to this Dan before the break that there there might be uh, if not a package. Um, 
a plan going t- towards the people in power to put forward the case for Irish football going forward. Yeah, and I think that's definitely, listen, it's, it's no secret that that's been the, the, a discussion. I mean, the, the FBI come out with their strategic plan. This is the point last week, like you can do stuff for crests or whatever, but like, you know, you need actually something really tangible to be happening by 2025 because the point is like, there is some great work being done. Like, it, I mean, it's important to stress like these kids at the moment, they're not just training Tuesdays and Thursdays anymore like dude like they're, they're doing as much as they can in some of these academies um, but the real issue they have is just like you know in some ways it's the it's the number of full-time people working in youth development in this country is an unbelievably low number now I have to say historically like you can't just say well you know put out the bag and ball it's true that the priorities in the past have been skewed it's true that like in a lot of League of Ireland clubs people just didn't care you know or see the value of it and like that is that is accurate but I think it's you know I think they're coming from a place now in terms of lobbying that it's like okay we actually are doing a lot of positive work here we're doing like we're trying to do the most that we can but now to get to the next level we need more. Like I think that's why, in a way, like qualifying for a tournament with that is a great funding argument, as opposed to maybe a team that's getting hammered and just like we'll just throw some cash off. It's not a case of that. And I think as well, and I would pres- I would presume with this, like it's not just a case again because sometimes you have this debate and people say, well, like, this money will be thrown up against the wall. You know, this will be this will be squandered. You know, look at the FBI was as Damien also alluded to, like the FBI was you know was bailed out. Like and it's true, but like I think again whatever way funding you can, I mean this could bring us down a complete rabbit hole like whatever way funding and the FEI and all these things happened in the last 10 to 15 years I think people weren't really empowered to go looking for some stuff themselves everything seemed to have to be managed by the FEI you have a big AGM where all these checks were being produced and a lot of that was actually uh, you know state funds that was just being mm. for whatever reason political purposes have been trying out in a particular way like league clubs here didn't really know how to go about getting money they weren't organised to go about it but I think whatever they do now it has to be very targeted and it has to be to do with education it's not just a case of you know an open check it's a case of saying uh, you know clubs are doing more now for younger players you know we have responsibility to people you know, that we didn't have before. There's a whole generation of players who were exported at 16. What can we do for them now you know, to give them a better grounding in football and education? And I think there's there's a strong case to make. And I think it helps that they're doing the, they're definitely maximising the resources they have at the moment. So, so you know, so do more. Um, and that that's the point, I think, that will be made. But I think the FAO need to, I think people on the ground probably have heard for, and I think it's worth stressing this, like, you know, and I, I encounter it from people I speak to, I suppose people have heard for the last couple of years, yeah, that, you know, keep spending on your underage, like there is going to be support coming, like support will come. They haven't seen it naturally and, and, and at a point like they you know that does need to happen yeah and uh, today we're brought to you by Sky you get all the football you love in one place across Sky Sports Beat Sport and Premier uh, Sports and uh, two big goals already actually uh, only eight minutes in Wolves nil Leeds United won Jack Harrison Villa won uh, Bournemouth nil Douglas Louise and Damo um, I, I was on a Cheltenham panel there a couple of weeks ago and uh, Man United were playing Liverpool um, I think it was the day before and I said how would the um, we're talking about the Supreme Novice Hurdles it's the first day of the Cheltenham Festival big big 
big race, one of the biggest races in the calendar in terms of turnover. And I said to the bookmaker representative, I was like, how would the turnover on Man United um, Liverpool actually compare to, say, the Supreme Novice Hurdle? And he looked at me as if I two heads, not even in the same country. The, the betting on football, the likes of that, is miles ahead, miles ahead of racing. Yes, we have a situation where, and I, I'm not arguing against the funding that racing gets from the government, but we have a situation where racing is effectively funding half of the prize money for a very, very prosperous race at the Curragh or something like that. Yes, Irish football is getting next to nothing to develop its academies. I mean, surely a case can be made that we we at least deserve some of the betting money that is accrued from all of this. Um, yeah, I don't really understand. You run about rugby there, and even less with horse racing there. So a lot of the words you said there, Johnny didn't get. Well, but, say okay. So uh, say say the, 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 just, the there's betting. That, there's more. The, there's the, more betting on racing than there is. The, the, I think right? the point so, is there's far more money. So back in the day, all the money that was betting betting shops right was on horse racing. Yeah. Virtually all. It's completely yeah. changed. It's completely flipped in that more people now will bet on football than horse racing. One hundred percent. Yet all the money effectively that is derived from betting um, in this country that goes to government is essentially spe- sent to horse racing and greyhounds. It's not sent to the League of Ireland. It's not sent to academies. It's not sent to develop uh, football grounds all over the country. To my mind, this is completely unfair. And I think, Demo, that we have a case to make to the government that we actually could put government money to good use in this country that doesn't involve paying wages. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd, um, I'd be reluctant to ask that, Charlie, because I'm not sure like about betting what the actual ins and outs are, who gives what to the government. Um, so if I gave an answer to that, I would I could be way off base there, to be honest with you. Um, so I'll pass that one off to Dan. Yeah, to be yeah, honest no, with no, you. yeah well, yeah, just, yeah. just not. I, I think the you know, minister of sport there, Thomas, I think he's fully aware of that. Mm. You know, and, and one thing we have to do now is we have to fully accept. You know, where are we? Where are we now? And fully understand where we are now. Like you know, um, and this isn't sort of one of those things. You go, let's go hammer the clubs for not doing something right. Let's go go hammer the government for doing something right. Let's go hammer the FAI for not doing something right. I think all parties involved have to realise going, this is where we are and this is where we need to improve. Um, and to be fair, uh, from from a, a government and a funding point of view, I think it, it can't happen overnight. It, it's not like one of those, as Dan says, you just write a check out, there you go. There has to be, obviously, a strategic plan in place and, and say, right, this, this is where we're going with it. But, you know, I think the, the, the Minister for Sport now, Thomas Porn, is fully aware of where the fundings are allocated and um, yeah I, I'd say there will be a plan in place there for Irish football but it's just we're not going to see any any immediate change over the next couple of months of course you know he was he was in Daily Mount there only recently obviously in relation to the new redevelopment of Daily Mount mm. which is obviously going to be a, a massive plus and, and all the talk was very positive so um, you're just hoping that I get Dan's point earlier on you know it's, it's, it's one of those that we were, would have hoped to see some sort of tangible assets now some sort of change now, but um, we just got to accept that that's not there at the moment. And guys, can, I, can I ask you? Can I ask yeah. you? Sorry, mate. Uh, just do you think the best way forward is to give all the League of Ireland clubs and make them essentially like category two academies in the UK or something like that? Because um, you know there needs to be a plan in place. But like, yeah. I presume it would be expensive, um, and I'm not sure if there is a plan in, in in a drawer somewhere of what we could do for this, or, or how would you go about doing it? Well, they are in the process of getting the, the academies to be categorised at the moment. Uh, then, well, that's one of the things that's ongoing, mm. that the FAI are in the process. I think the issue is, and what would probably emerge from that is, 
I don't. And this is just my opinion. I don't think you can you can do that with twenty academies. You know, or not you know nineteen twenty academies. Yeah. I, but I think what they're trying to do is put this categorization in place so that realistically, if clubs aren't in a position to meet certain criteria, they're going to get less funding to be honest you know so there has to be a case of you know is there a matched commitment to that potentially there's various things though I I don't think it's a case of you get an amount of money you divide it by 20 you hand it off and you go there you go I don't think that's feasible either personally other people may say differently Um, I think it's more a case that it might just be the top 6 to 8 to 10 um, who are willing to make a bit of a commitment go with it I think that's that to me is the more viable thing because the, the counterpoint would be um, what about some kind of national academy you know that would be an argument you, you hear made like sort of a, an equivalent of whatever exists you know Clairefontaine or Lillis Hall in, in England and would you do that I, to me I've heard that plan proposed that you pick sort of 25 or 30 in a, in a generation you know you bring them to some place where they live and train and whatever I, I don't know how that would work in, in this country necessarily because I think then you have to figure out who you're making a decision very early. Dan, we've more, we've more than enough young footballers to stick with the status quo and just make it a lot better, I think. Well, yeah, I think, yeah, but I think th- there comes a point where clubs, you can't, clubs have to be willing to make a degree of commitment with it too. If you know I, mean. I just, I can't see there being 20 full-time academies mm. potentially I don't I don't see that see no, that happening okay. no, yes. no, no, no. Like you, you got to look at some of, the, some of the first team clubs or some of the clubs that with their first team they're, they're, they're barely keeping their head above water at, uh, yeah. in, in some of the particularly obviously in the first division yeah. I've been there and I've seen it um, for the likes of Longford Town it must be very very difficult to pay all the money that you need for your underage um, for like the, the expenses that are involved in that without really any government yeah, slash actually, yeah, you're the first team manager there you're knocking on the chairman's door looking for more funding for players to try and compete and win and get results because that's my job and then you see the background of the amount of funding that's needed to run the, the academy uh, is, is set up in the background but for me like you know obviously government and clubs um, FAI they, they have to have their, their plan in place to try and um, build these academies but we need to make it a little bit more attractive for, for investors because it's not only the funding comes from different uh, different areas and you know I know some clubs have, have big investors at the moment they're obviously the, the bigger clubs but you know, if you can make the actual product a little bit more attractive for for investors, I think we will get people who are willing. Well, to on that, yeah, yeah. Right. But I was going to say as well, like you, you, like the Brexit thing has created a situation as well, where like even something like Evan Ferguson like makes Irish players attractive too. Like someone like Evan Ferguson come along, Andrew Moran as well at Brighton. I think he'll do very well, uh, and there'll be others. And I think obviously clubs, this multi-club model that's been talked, you see various investors from different places looking at Ireland and. Like that's the thing with you know even various investors looking at clubs, they probably see that they're if you if you professionalise the academy structure, well then the, the players might also accrue a greater value as well for export, which let's be honest is going to be part of the business. I want to go back to the betting tax because I think how it's explained, like just you have to explain where this is coming from. It's a legacy decision that there's a two percent betting tax in Ireland, and two you know two decades ago, the government at that time made the decision that add you know tax on any bets it went towards the horse racing and the greyhound industry. Part of the argument in support of that, as you would know, would be that it's that funding is vital for like funding an industry that and employs jobs as well. Fun, yeah, that employs X amount of people and X amount of jobs, and like that's obviously the argument. And this is one of the issues with football in this country that isn't employing really, 
you know, it has to be able to make the case that, well, here's what we do. We employ this amount of people. Like, there's a lot of people are reliant on this. And that, like, there was a, a legacy decision made that I think if a government was sitting down now, they couldn't stand over that policy if it was introduced. But it was introduced at a time, you know, where there was no real issue. And as you pointed out, yes, at that time, most people were spending their betting money on horsing and you know, horse racing and so on. But, like, this is where the, the argument comes from. It's, it's actually trying to right a, a historic wrong yeah and it's it's not, yeah, it's not like it's not me demo sorry I, obviously I, I, well, I understand now so yeah. I didn't know what Dan just said there I know that's, that's my fault I didn't understand yeah, D- Dan should actually pre- be presenting the show today He'd be doing a lot better <laughs> job than me I wonder how JD is getting on uh, after a week at Cheltenham I wasn't at Cheltenham but I was working on Cheltenham and I do come from a racing background as well where I can make the case for money going into to racing but like Demo you came back you, you went you played League of Ireland you went England you came back I imagine the stadia hadn't changed that much. You have Tala's progressing. A lot of the grounds are still totally defunct, and you're you're you're, you're trying to make the case here. We have a we have a league that is kind of expanding at almost like a rapid rate. We've all these kids to look after, and we still we're so far behind in so many cases. Um, yeah, I think we are far behind, but you know the the people that are in the League of Ireland are some of the the hardest working, most honest people you'd meet. I think they're doing the very very best they can with what they have available to them. In an ideal world, we'd love to make all the stadiums, um, you know, more friendly. So crowds are, are more attractive. Um, that you know, um, you, you maybe dress up the stadiums a little bit like the Premier League with the hoarding, so that like you know streamed games or live games looking off a lot more attractive and easy on the eye you know Premier League stadiums and, and clubs have criteria to meet because that is part of the product you know the bells and whistles that when you turn a Premier League game there is just a wow factor about the, the lighting the, 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 the colour of the pitch the, the advertising hoarding you know it's, 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 it's awesome um, sometimes you go on the League of Ireland and camera angles are different and you know the lighting is a little bit off and sometimes you're kind of struggling to see what's going on um, especially on the LOI TV um, thing so it is just about investment um, how you go about that I, I would be the last person you could ask for that but you know that's just from a, a kind of a, a selling it or upselling the, the league but also if you could make it and, and I've banged on about this before like the amount of kids that are coming back from the UK at 2021 disillusioned with football and then they come back to the League of Ireland they're used to a certain standard a category one academy say in the UK and then they come back and it's a case of like well you know you, you might have to wash your own kit or you you know food is, is, is minimal after training now I know people are making huge strides on that but you know you've got a dis- disillusioned kid coming into an environment like that you know you're not going to help him you know there's a generation of people come back that I firmly believe can be Showing a little bit of love, reinvigorate them and get them to fall back in love with football. And then all of a sudden you've got um, a real asset in, in the league, not to mention just the kids we have that we're developing ourselves coming out of schoolboy football. So, um, you know, facilities, training facilities, um, stadiums, all that can be improved. Um as well as academies, obviously. Well, it, yeah, it's funny. Like, I mean, we, we've all seen the, the memes going around and all. The Burke clan have been in the news a lot of late. And uh, you, you'll see where I'm going in a moment with this, Tan. But let's just say the parenting one gets and the, the upbringing ones get, one gets at a young age will definitely um, make you a different person. If you go to England as a kid that isn't nearly developed, you get massively homesick. And I really think this was this is sad, guys. We have so many kids who went to England and they were the stars of their school. They are probably the stars of even underage football at that time. They came back so disillusioned and for whatever reason it didn't work out a lot of it was probably that they weren't around their family they weren't around their friends and you, you see when I remember when Graham Burke came back to, to the league he'd gone back to Preston and he'd, he'd had two spells in England you see Jack Byrne coming back and 
there's, there's a point to be made here. These these people actually would prefer to be around their family, to be around their home city, to be able to live and be a professional in their own country. And and that wasn't that wasn't an option, sadly enough. No, um, sort of myself back in '98 when I came home. I, I, Where, tell us your story. Yeah, so. well, it's it's similar. I I went over in in '97 um, and. Uh, and two years. How old were you then? I was. I was. I had me leaving cert under my belt, which was okay. a massive plus for me. I realised that when I came home because my younger brother Kev, he he went over to Leeds for four years and didn't have his leaving cert, so his education was it was difficult when he got, when he got back, and he was totally disillusioned with the football. Played a couple of couple of seasons League of Ireland, and you know if he wasn't making it at the top level, he wasn't interested. Um, and a lot of players come there, but was he not interested? Or is it back to the point that Damien made is that? You know the, the the level of professionalism at Leeds United when he was over there. They were in the Champions League. Now he wasn't in the Champions League, of course. It was under David O'Leary, but the buzz around the place, the club, um, was 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 unbelievable. It was the Robbie Keane time, um, Ian Hart, um, Gary Kelly time, uh, and and Leeds was buzzing. Comes back to the League of Ireland and it's down in Cortaquegan, Cortaquegan there in Monaghan when you know there's not you know probably two cows on the on the field watching watching the game and he said they would be behind the goal and yeah this this, this wasn't why I wanted to play football but um, myself a few years earlier yeah I came home now I had a little bit more of a determination to to, to play in the League of Ireland and keep at it Um, and I made a decent career in the League of Ireland and and had some good good appearance but more 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 fellas come home in the UK uh, and realise that this is not the level of football that I would have dreamed of. Um, from a from a mental point of view, it's, it just still goes on to this day. Um, Does it, you yeah. Know, yeah, from a mental point of view, you know, young players struggle struggle with the failure, struggle with that part of. I didn't make it in the top the top league over there. Um, some got on with it, but some of them really struggle inside. And uh, I've seen it. I don't really mention names, but them home and it's 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 like they, they might see a fellow uh, a fellow player, whether it's English, Irish, Scottish. Who's actually after making it? Uh, who were, who was their mate over there for for three yeah. or four years? And he's gone to a level of Champions League football or, or a really high standard. Uh, mightn't be much between them talent wise, but for whatever for whatever reason, um, he, you know he's back at home here and he's over there. and and mentally that's tough. And um, yeah, they, you know they they really need the the support network here when they come home. To, to, to help them through those periods because it's not easy. That yeah. part is not easy. Yeah, no, well you do, and you do also hear as well of some some lads over there who, who almost don't want to come home in case they don't succeed here as well too. You know what I mean? In the sense that second blow. Well, you come back to Ireland, yeah, and it's like, well, he was away, he was like the top dog. And then he comes home here and he realise actually he's not outstanding in this league either and there's almost a sense of like you do talk to guys sometimes over there who are playing in the sort of the fourth tier over there who just don't want to come back because there's a sense of if I go home and that doesn't work out then where do I go and like you hang out there and you see where it tries to take you now like you'll have great you'll have great stories within that of people who've made a very like decent careers for themselves but that's part of that is the stigma like there's a there's a thing about coming home that's sort of stigmatised as a negative you know and, and that's almost almost cemented. beyond football like, yeah it's almost mm. a sense of well you haven't you haven't done anything if you do I think John so go ahead Demo sorry yeah. if we if we changed the perspective of, of the League of Ireland and a kid you start seeing examples of guys that get released at 18 for whatever reason they come back to the League of Ireland for two years and then you start getting them back across the water 
you know, if you can start producing a model like that, then all of a sudden you become an attractive um, league, you know. But obviously things would have to change here. The standards, the pitches, the, everything would need to change. And then it becomes a little bit more attractive. And I think that's a huge part of the market that we're missing out on. Um, that you can make the League of Ireland. So when players don't see it as a failure, you know, they don't see it mm-hmm. as, a, as a kind of a last resort. And like you said, if I don't make it there, where do I go? There's an appetite to go home and go, do you know what? I'm going to go home, live. Someone like Keith Fahey, for example, yeah. you know, went down that route. You know, I think Wes Houlihan as well. You know, Tony but Cousins. if you can make that, yeah. yeah, if you can make that a regular thing, then all of a sudden it becomes an attractive opportunity and you will get more kids coming back here as opposed to going into maybe League Two or non-league football for safe because what you were saying there, Dan. So, you know, there is a lot of opportunity out there for this league. It's doing great at the minute and it's brilliant and it's really on the up in attendances and everybody. But if we could just keep the momentum moving, um, there's so much potential in this country, so much. How many goals did you score in your career, Demo? Oh, geez, I don't know, Johnny. Um... Christ, um, I thought would it be would it be double figures? What was your oh, stock celebration? Must be double figures if you have to think, you know. It <laughs> 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 can't be just like one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. What is it? One? I don't know what I mean. Like, it could be, it could be anywhere between five and fifteen. Let's say. How was your What was your stock celebration? Panic. <laughs> I, it had to be from a set piece. Anyway. <laughs> it's, it's, an, it's another bad segue, but for 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 some reason, I'm always. Uh, intrigued when a player scores and he or she goes over to the bench and targets somebody at the bench so when Jonathan Afalabi scored his first goal for Bowes he went over to uh, uh, Detzer I, I, Derek Pender as he's otherwise known but you, you told me the story behind it Jonathan Afalabi for me is an intriguing example of this so that he's, he's widely hailed as one of these really good promising young Irish strikers um, I think his first move to Southampton then he goes to Celtic comes back to the League of Ireland then um, and obviously he's, he's kind of an example of what we've been talking about yeah, um, he's had a, an, an electric start to the season. Uh, the only thing that John, John will say himself in relation to stats and numbers, because life can be all about stats and numbers now, is that he, he wants more goals. Um, but he's played exceptionally well for us since the start of the season. And at this moment, he, like you know, we've young Dean Williams there as well. He's keeping him out of the team. We've James Akintundi, who can play a number of positions. But at this moment in time, I just you know say to these players, it, it's John's time at the moment, and 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 uh, it's his time to shine. He's had a couple of failures, as as, as you said, with um, Southampton and Celtic. Fa- failure, failure is the wrong word, though, isn't Sorry, it? Sorry, yeah, like, probably is. Do you know what I mean? Happen. It's like it, it, disappointment. Yeah, disappointment. Yeah, it's like, sorry, that's, it's, it, so that's like it's it's like backing a horse at seven to one that didn't win. You said that failed. It was like well, you, you didn't expect it to win. The odds are so stacked against you. There's so many players that you have to be better than. And that Johnny, sounds John, like my Chelsea. Johnny, 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 I used that phrase there. <laughs> Johnny, I apologise. You're not hopping on me there. And I wouldn't mind. Yeah. I was called a failure. It's the wrong word. But, yeah. but, but people will see that and you'll have that in your head. Uh, thanks. I'll take that. Yeah, no, it is. He, a couple of disappointments. But look, he, he, he's in form at the moment. Mm. Yeah, he should have. Listen, he did actually score last night. was ruled out for a ball over the line. It didn't look like it was, but that's gone there. Honest question what did he make of the standard? Because, like, anecdotally, people who come back are like, Jesus. League of Ireland is actually hmm, it's not bad yeah, me, me or John me, John uh, John listen um, everyone's out to, out to get him at centre half now there's a hell of a fight coming up with John so uh, and he's given and getting um, yeah, uh, John John just wants everything to happen for him now obviously in relation mm. to playing games uh, scoring goals and God knows where, where, where that will bring him but he's had a really really good uh, start to the season but um yeah, look, long may continue for him. It's 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 one of those. 
uh, for John if he can uh, if he can add goals to his game. You know, I, I think the, it could be a case like Damien was saying that he could end up going back across. Who knows? Because he has the size, he has the power, he has the presence. Um, and his hold of play is exceptional as yeah. you would have seen yeah. well, he, he was in the team at a tournament at the under 19 championships a couple of years ago so like you know this is the Euro- in a European tournament so like if someone has that ability to stand out in an international competition a European international competition well then they're clearly a talented footballer but like he, he fell through the cracks for whatever reason he was bouncing around various clubs in Scotland when you would think at that stage in his life you know just being home might, might have helped him I was looking up Damien Delaney's career stats it does uh, appear now it, did he w- score w- more goals w- than w- Afalabi Wikipedia unreliable it must be said and it doesn't have your, your first stint at Cork but it does say 18 goals has won at Stockport I don't know if you remember that that might be your your first goal in England it seems to be claiming and then what five at Hull two at QPR two at Ipswich Sixth at Crystal Palace. And then it says one each at Cork and Waterford when you came home. I don't really. Yeah. One was an OG for. Well, <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to remember. One he, he passed right into the net, into Daily Mount. Oh, I, I hear you. Why did you have to bring up Daily Mount? That was me yeah. that brings up Daily Mount. Yeah. Sorry, David. Sorry. I didn't scold you like Johnny just yeah. said there. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Him, please, all right. We'll have more uh, Damien Delaney uh, memories uh, after the break. Before that, a couple of high profile uh, goal scorers in the League of Ireland today. Um, on your Gorman scored for Shamrock Rovers uh, Jesse Sale scored for Shells and Sarah Rowe scored for Bowes in Terryland so yeah, yeah she's kind of diffusing I'm not back here to play for Ireland but she's obviously doing her cause no harm she scored mm. um, so Bowes uh, beating uh, Galway uh, 1-0 at the moment that's the latest score and uh, oh no Ronan Collins scored twice um Watford 2 brain ill I'm being a bit biased here but you've been a small a, bit biased Sean. a little bit biased could you yeah. be in some way professional if at all possible yeah, well that's that, that ship has that ship has sailed so yeah a big score there Watford 2 brain ill that's half an hour gone oh no um, isn't an acceptable score <laughs> <laughs> people are there going like something I, bad has happened my, my, my go United big game uh, for Watford that, that is a big game, game. you yeah. have to stay in touch you know Galway was having an electric start to the season obviously can't get any better than 5 wins or 5 they, just briefly before the break the funny thing about Watford the pressure is intense on Sir because of down the game and after 15 minutes of the Galway game the, the crowd is at you straight away this is this big expectation there yeah it's the expectation of the, crowd, of the club really isn't it they want to get back into the promised land as they call it and Danny's a good guy I've got to know Danny over the off season there I've, I've, I've uh couple of players sent them down his way that would suit their style of play but I just don't think they have fully clicked yet without actually I, haven't, I have to say I haven't seen them mm. but I've, I've, I've spoke to people they haven't fully fully clicked yet and, and I think that happened last year as well I know they had a change in management with, with, with Ian Morrison then Gary was caretaker and so on but they came really strong at the end and I felt if the season had gone on much longer that they may have um, been right up there but uh, yeah they just it, it, you know it's only the game's not over obviously but it's a, it's an important game for them today two, two man- yeah, you mentioned managers there uh, two managers are going to mention uh, after the break uh, include Stephen Kenny ahead of uh, Ireland's uh, big two games obviously Latvia and then France and also Vincent Company spoke to a League of Ireland manager myself today who was absolutely raving about him and Burnley go to Man City we have loads to discuss after the break Football on Off The Ball With Sky Watch Premier League, Women's Super League Scottish Premiership and much more Live on Sky Sports You're very welcome back um, Doesn't feel like a job today Talking about football Talking about Ireland Potentially win the Grand Slam And uh, that victory over France Just 
looks better and better with every week because France are beating Wales 27 um, at the moment and that is uh, sort of coming up towards uh, half time and uh, we're obviously counting down to Ireland and England at Lansdowne Road later on um, but it's football we're going to talk about until about half four mentioned managers uh, sort of under scrutiny or that we we're going to talk about between here and half four He's not a manager anymore. Uh, Demo, the Patrick Vieira thing, I mean, I was talking to Gaz just mentioned there uh, during the break, the, the the gap between sort of last and 12th in the Premier League. Palace have lost a, couple, a few games 1-0, but they've been playing against good teams, have been seemingly competitive. You know the Palace situation um, better than most, being an ex-player. Um, did this take you by surprise? Um, no, not really. No. Um, I think it was, um, it was a feeling of inevitability about it, really. Um, you know, obviously, you look at the table and you see they're twelfth, and they've had a difficult run of games. And I keep, you know, every time I hear people talk about it, say that they got winnable games coming up, um, which is staggering. Like when you know, you think that every game should be a winnable game. You know, granted, even if it's Manchester City, a club like Crystal Palace have taken points off them many times, and and Arsenal's and Manchester United's, and that has to be the mentality. So you can't just say that you know we have certain games that are winnable and certain games that aren't. I mean, what's the point in, in, in playing? Might as well not bother showing up for some games. Um, but when you scratch at the surface and you look down at it, the stats aren't great for, for Vieira. You know, Palace are, um, are bottom of the running stats, 20th out of 20 in the Premier League in overall running which um, for a club like Crystal Palace, I think is unacceptable. You know, what you lack in quality, you can make up the difference in, in work rate and effort. And if you can outrun and outwork, that was the ethos of the club since they got back in the Premier League. So for them to be 20 out of 20, I, I, you know, I can't get my head around that. I think they've won one game since the World Cup um, finished. And I think that was even in December. They're still without a win in 2023. Yes, they've had a difficult run of games, but I think visually, when you watch the performances, they were they were flat. Um and they've obviously kind of sleepwalked into a, a relegation battle on 27 points. At the moment, they're two points outside it, depending on how results go today. And they got to go to Arsenal tomorrow. Um, I think the owner just decided that um, he didn't want to take the risk. Um, because if you say that, you know, Patrick's getting these winnable games coming up and all of a sudden you lose a couple of them, you know, and you're down to the last seven or eight games and you're in the relegation zone or out of it on goal difference, that's an enormous amount of pressure. So um, I think the owner just decided to... To, to take the best route possible and that is just go with a new manager because um, I'd say realistically all they need is maybe you know nine points from 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 the remaining um, uh, I think it's 12 games they've left you know that should get them to, to 36 37 points ish um, and that probably should be enough so I mean they're almost there I just need to decide to take the element of risk out of it so I can see why you did it um, and you know it is what it is. They move forward now with with a Dubliner in Paddy McCarthy. Yeah, because Paddy McCarthy. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, I I could be wrong here, Dan. We used to use this stat. Is there any uh, Republic of Ireland bar manager in the four divisions now? Mark Kennedy. Mark Kennedy. So Mark Kennedy. So what do you know, of Paddy McCarthy? Then that. Oh yeah, I've known Paddy for um for for a long time. Um, you know, it's was there my whole time that I was there. He was injured. His career finished early. Um. He had a shoulder injury and then successive hamstring injuries that he couldn't fix. But he was always a, a big presence. He was club captain there um, while he was, you know, still on the playing books. But I think eventually he just had to admit defeat in his um, in his, his his battle with injuries. Um, and he went down the coaching road and he he took up a, a job with the under 18s and he done exceptionally well with them. Um, and now he's with the under 20. Well, he was with the 21s, um, and he done exceptionally well there as well. You look at Crystal Palace in the, the academy section; they are fighting it out. 
uh, blow for blow with the big boys in London in the Category 1 system, the likes of Chelsea, Arsenal, um, West Ham, you know, academies that are, you know, huge um, pull of players from all over the world. And Paddy regularly takes their scalps um, and is in the top two or three. So he's done a really, really good job. Um, and he thoroughly deserves this opportunity. And I hope it goes well for him tomorrow because he's such a well-thought-of guy around the club. Um, he's a leader. He's um, a motivator. He demands from people. Um, and I hope it goes well for him tomorrow because there's a good chance that he could get the job at the end of the season. And I couldn't wish it on a nicer fella, to be honest with you. Yeah, I was, I was going to say that. Gaz, what are you made of it all? He's basically sacked on at 7 o'clock in the morning, I think, of the way to training. Yeah, um, I suppose... For most managers, inevitable that that phone call is going to come. Mm. I always say that you're going to hand back the keys to the officer someday. Hopefully, it's in, in it's in uh, it's in a sort of a positive. Um, but unfortunately for Patrick, he's he, yeah he, he's gone. But look, Dave, we'd know more about Crystal Palace than I would. But I, I was looking at it going it's so tight from 12 position right to the bottom. It's three points between all those teams. Um, on the point of the the running stats, I mean, it's not a badge of honor, but like some teams play different. They, they probably sit back more, and I, I mean, I don't watch Palace week to week. I saw them against Man City, and they were yeah, very competitive. Yeah, recently. but if you, if you, if you're fighting for survival, you have to run. <laughs> you have to. They probably you, didn't think they were fighting for survival. That was the whole. Well, thing. well, well, the chairman thought differently, I, I suppose. But look, I, I mean, I in in a league where there's only five teams in or there's twenty teams in, if somebody has to finish first, somebody has to finish last in everything. Um, but when it comes to when it comes to running stats uh, and hard work and, and energy, the best teams in the world work really, really hard. Um, so for somebody who would probably be less less on the on the ta- the talent side, you know, you have your run stats can't be bottom. They can't, you, you, you can't, can't, you, just can't, you be. can't. Yeah, you can't sell yeah. that because I mean, prior to the last game, um, I think they went three or four games without a shot, full stop, not even on target, mm. without a shot on goal, right? And running, people hear, oh, team don't run. That means they don't run defense. You have to run with the ball, with, mm. you know, in possession as well. You know, mm. run forward, run in behind. Make selfless runs to create space for somebody else. But there just seemed to be a, an apathy in the games that I watched. And, and you could see, you know, even visually, that when they won the ball back, everyone was just kind of standing where they were or gradually kind of jogging to where they wanted to be. There was no energy, no intensity, no desire about them. I think the thing, Dan, what they said was that the players did look like they'd sort of lost faith in it. Um, yeah, look, look, there was an incident as well with 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 Sean Derry um, being being um, moved on from his role as an assistant or a coach there. Um, so that wasn't, you know, the the best of situations. Sean Derry, you know, played for a long time at Crystal Palace, and he didn't like the way it was going. He got moved on, um, and. Look visually, man. You watch Crystal Palace; you can't get away from it. You know it wasn't going well, and he couldn't he couldn't take the risk. You know, everyone would say that he he would have turned it around. Well, if he would have turned it around, then you would have seen that. You know, and even the Man City game, they done okay, but ultimately they didn't offer anything. They mm. didn't attempt to land any blows. They were just kind of sitting in, defending, doing their bit. They didn't completely down tools. They were still trying, but like. You want to see like a bit of effort, a bit of like we can actually win this. You might not, but you want to at least look like you want to. You know, when you win the ball back, you counterattack at pace and you run back at pace and you're throwing bodies in the way. It was just it was an inevitability about that city result, even though it only came through a penalty. Um, but all the games I've watched highlights or you know extended highlights, if not the full game of all the games, and ah, I was flat, man, and, and and you can't get away with that. Not a club like Crystal Palace. And, good, and, so, Damo, you know, if they canvass the fans like today, the the majority or the vast majority would say they've made their eye call. Um, probably yeah um, I would say so um, 
I don't think anyone could 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 argue it really, to be honest with you. Because it's inter- you know, it's, yeah, it's interesting, Dan, as well. Bring, like Damo speaking, that Paddy McCarthy, this goes well. He could be here at least until the end of the season. If you know, it's obviously baptism fire at uh, Arsenal tomorrow. Yeah, well, I suppose. I mean, like, you look at you have Paddy McCarthy at the club. I mean, Dean Kiley's there. Stephen Rice is on the Ireland staff. Previously, was there. It's actually only like a couple of months back. Um, it was in pre-season Dundalk and Cork were playing up in Abbottstown I went up to it and Paddy McCarthy was actually there with people from Palace because they were signing Franco Ume he was playing mm. that day and what you know you fast forward on and he's uh, he's now going to be on the on the dugout in a Premier League game which is sort of um, so it's extraordinary really but that's how quickly your life can change you know like you see um, you see the Southampton manager now like you know Ruben Sellers like, who's you know did, did, this wasn't coming at the start of the season you know um, so um, yeah, I mean, hope it goes really well for him. I mean, it is slightly unusual given given the percentage proportion of like Irish players that there is in the four leagues that there's been a you know it's slowed down in terms of managers. Now, I do think we probably have a quite a lot of future managers. I would say you know in the system over there who are making their way at the moment, like the likes of John O'Shea who's in with Ireland as an assistant, um, and there's there's others around the place as well that I think eventually you see like Paul McShane are doing stuff in in coaching and and there'll be others. And I think you know more more doors will open for them over there. Alan Sheehan was assistant manager at Southampton when he went with with Nathan Jones. So like I think that will that will change so no I hope it goes really well for him I mean it is crazy though like this is definitely I I, mean, I can remember old Premier League relegation battles over the years that are memorable enough but like to have four points between 12th crazy, and 20th as it stands you know with Southampton mm. are, are drawing at the moment um, three, only three teams in the bottom half have the same manager they had at the start of the season in the bottom half yeah only three can you, get, can you, can you guess them um West Ham. West Ham, yeah, yeah. West and Ham. he's been under pressure. West Ham with Lloyd. Leicester. Rice. Yeah. Leicester. Under pressure. And Rodgers, they're, they're 1-0 down today. And Steve Cooper, who yeah. at the start looked like he was going to get sacked maybe five, six games it, into so the So, Demo, explain, explain that, actually, because generally sacking a manager just makes... It doesn't work. Um, it, obviously, there's a financial cost, but they, they believe that, you know, the financial cost, the end justifies the means, but... You, you basically all these teams the manager's going to get sacked and like is that is that a, the right way for football to be going where effectively you have no shelf life at all as a football manager well, I think so yeah I think it's fair enough right. um, you know if you get into the if you if you get into the, the business you ex, you understand that it's results orientated if you don't want to be working at that end of football the pressure end of it then go get a job in the U team you know because that's so you would have about- sacked Alex Ferguson long before he became one of the greatest yeah. managers ever well, you can't just cherry pick one. I mean, you know, like he's an exception. Yeah. yeah, were Man United with danger of getting relegated? No, they weren't. And, and the vast majority of managers that get sacked are the ones that are getting relegated or aren't meeting the standards. Like Graham Potter has, has done ever so well to to survive, but I mean, if he got sacked, you know, in the summer, if he doesn't get what he wants with them, because I think the only reason Graham Potter wasn't sacked is because that like he knew the squad needed a rebuild and they had a lot of injuries, but they've now given him all the tools necessary to do his job. So there will be a standard now for him to, to, to reach. And if he doesn't reach it, he will be gone very, very soon because you can't spend that amount of money in January and then still complain. Like he would have had an argument pre-Christmas saying, look, my injuries, these players are fitting, we need, the squad needs a rebuild. But if you want to be a manager in the Premier League or at any professional level, you have to understand that it's a results-orientated business. And if you aren't getting results, then there's not for you. And you can't complain them. you don't get sacked. Uh, or when you get sacked, sorry, you know, if you want that job, go and work for an under-16s team where you can lose a few games and it's about development and, 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 and that side of it. But professional football is about winning games of football. That's just 
full stop. Yeah. So, but that, you know, so demo it. by we, we, in, by your logic, then should Potter have already been sacked from Chelsea? No, because I think he had a case. Okay, and I, and I said that. I said that. I think that he probably took over Chelsea, where the squad was in need of a rebuild, right. and he had an incredible injury list, and he was struggling massively. But he was entitled to go back to the board and say, "Hey, listen, I asked for X, Y, and Z. You didn't give it to me." And the board obviously listened to him and said, "Okay, fair enough. They've now given him X, Y, and Z." So he is under an enormous amount of pressure, like mm. an enormous amount. Um, you know, he's probably done well to cling on is what he did. But, you know, if you like work for Roman Abramovich, the one thing you could never la- label at him, you yeah. know, with all the managers he used to get rid of is he backed every manager, you know. So um, yeah, that, that's it's just the nature of the business. I'm sorry, like, but yeah. I don't want to. Yeah. I, I, think, I, think it's, I think it's entirely wrong. I think you can't. How, how can you just lay, lay the foundation work? It's kind of like building a house and you haven't even gotten to the second floor and you're sacked because, well, I'm, I'm trying to build something here. Give me a bit of time. But just to mention a couple of scores, brilliant goal by Poro. Tottenham have uh, breached Gamzunu 1 0 um, at St. Mary's. Um, brilliant, brilliant strike off the bar. Villa 1 0 up against Bournemouth. Brentford 1 0 up against struggling Leicester City, who uh, Dan mentioned there. Um, Leicester having a really, really poor season. At least one, one nil up at Wolves. Guys, you want to come in? Yeah, just on the on well, just on the Graham Potter one. It's uh, I don't know. It's a different strategy the, the the club are going. To. I actually think what a manager always looks for is ask for everything you want. He won't get it, like you know. But I actually think Graham Potter has been given too much. That might sound cra- a crazy, crazy statement, but um, but there's been players bought in there. Uh, unbelievably talented players and the game never changes you have one goalkeeper and ten outfield players um, and you have uh, such a uh, such a, an influx of, of of expensive talent that brings its own headache for the uh, for the manager now from that point of view you look at that and go obviously there's competitions they're into, com- competing in the quarterfinals of the Champions League obviously they need to improve in the, in the Premier League I think he'll, he'll definitely get another window more time to do that um, but yeah uh, I, I, I just think now, just from from a Chelsea point of view, the way the American owners come in, and I, I think some of these owners can can ruin football. They're trying, he's trying to bring a different strategy in of bringing in players and eight year deals and so on. It's, I, I just Dan, is, yeah. is, is it not crazy that most managers don't get a second job as as a manager? Right, that's that's statistically most managers do not get a second job. So there's massive pressure on you to have this immediate immediate performance related result when. You know that might not be the natural inclination of a lot of managers as well, but they, I need time here. Yeah, no, like I, I'm sort of between the two of you, like yourself and Damien on it. Like, it is, of course, it is crazy. Like, you would step back from it and go, like, you know, if if companies went through CEOs at the same pace as football clubs go through managers, you'd say this is a bit of a basket case. But football isn't a normal industry no. as well too you know like there's there's insane amounts of money like I will say and it's not one of these things right I'm not one of those people who says well you get well paid for it and that's life but but clearly I think a lot of the managers who work their circuit have their eyes open to it too like, you know the likes of sort of you know like you can talk about Big Sam and Tony Pulis but there's guys in the championship who've knocked around like five six clubs at this stage and they sort of know the game as well like you get in somewhere you get a three year deal things aren't going well after 18 months get paid up you know you play the you play the game and everyone's sort of I think and, and they're probably the ones who survive in a way that they're yeah. sort of very pragmatic about yeah. where they are that they know as soon as they go in they're going to be going out yes if you're a club that's talking about trying to build something sustainable and then you, you apply that policy that's fine but I mean the, the bottom half of the table of the Premier League it just goes to show like the Premier League is is just out of control at the moment in terms of the wealth but 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 then clubs are so afraid of being relegated because of the consequences of it as much as there's still parachute payments there and like a lot of the teams who go down are now quite competitive to come back up 
there is that sense of desperation and panic that I think at that level you sort of know in the Premier League you're on the carousel and it could end very quickly. I think if you're a club in League Two or League One or at home here that's gone through, you know, I don't know, six managers in six years, well, then you're never going to go anywhere. But in a weird way, I can probably understand in the Premier League why if you might get relegated for... The cost is so great, you know, and that's that's why that stat about this year doesn't doesn't surprise me. But it is, of course, it's insane. But a lot of things in football are insane if you step back and look at them. It it depends also, Johnny. Like you know, if you're if you're applying to be a manager somewhere and you sit down with an owner and you look at the current squad, you're going to say to him, "Look, I can do X, Y, and Z, or I can do such and such with this squad." You know, and then if you don't deliver, well, then you've not delivered what you you've said, right? Now, if you say to an owner, I need X amount of money to build a squad, and then the owner doesn't give it to you and he still sacks you, that can be a little bit unfair mm. as well. So without being privy to the interview process and what's been promised and what you said you can and you can't do, and also along the way, you know, Steve Parrish would have sat down with Patrick Vera and said, Patrick, this isn't acceptable. You know, we've not had a shot on target. Why have we not had a shot on target in, in three games? Well, their, net, their net spin was very low in relative terms. Oh, I agree, but there's a talented squad, and then you have mm. to look at the squad and you say, what, what, what's it capable of producing? Is it is it manager? Like that's the, the 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 entry point for any manager. Get the most out of your squad, and if you're getting the most out of your squad, you can go to an owner and say, hey, listen, I'm at full tilt here. I need reinforcements, and I can give you more. But if you're a manager, an owner, sorry, you look at the squad and you're going, that's a easily, you know, a, a mid-table, comfortably well away from relegation squad, which the Crystal Palace squad is. You know, they've, they've got some really good players there, some talented young players. They went down this route. Then if you're not delivering in any job, you're going to get fired. Like, that's just life, you know? So mm. you get into bed and, 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 and that's just the way it is. I don't know where that was going. No, but, look at, but you look at Arteta, <laughs> but I suppose you look yeah. at someone like Arteta, who Arsenal probably did show a degree of patience, but I guess they were... They were not under the pressure of being relegated. You know what yeah. I mean? They weren't... Like, and yes, they probably... And I, I think Chelsea should stick with Potter because you've met that type of appointment. You have to give it a bit of time. Like We'll probably we'll talk about Stephen Kenny, I'm sure, after four. There's an element of that with him. I think he completely deserved the time because people were making this type of appointment. But clearly, we know that this Euros campaign is going to be the one for him. But I thought it would have been madness to make any change before because you've committed to this process, so you sort of see it through. But clearly, if you're in a situation where you've got nine games to go... And you feel like you know you, you might be in the you could be in the championship for five years if this goes wrong. I understand why it happens as much as it's of course it it it, it seems knee jerk, but like they they are about four points from bottom spot. So like it's yeah, a couple you know. of results in it. Yeah, um, tell Damien this is from Mike of the Clane Wheelers, uh, good goalie man. Tell Damien Man United went to Millwall in late '89 and won two one. They were one nil down at half time, and if they lost. They would have dropped into the bottom three. But if Damo were actually the chairman of Man United at that stage, they wouldn't have gotten that far because he would have been sacked at half time. And Alex Ferguson would not be in Cheltenham uh, talking about the horse he had in the Gold Cup or anything like that this week. He wouldn't have even have been a manager anymore. He'd been relegated to football history because Damo, this is a cutthroat industry and I think he probably knows it a bit better than I do. And we will talk about Vince Company after break, as well as Pep Guardiola rather mischievously saying, a bit like, uh, you know, a uh, certain Steven Gerrard was uh, talked about before in terms of Liverpool. Oh, of course company is going to be a Liber- uh, Manchester City manager down the line. And uh, you got the impression that Vincent Company didn't uh, particularly like that. We will be back after the break. Before we go to the break, uh, we will get through the scores, uh, the Premier League scores at the moment. 
Villa won Bournemouth nil. Brentford won Leicester nil. Uh, Southampton nil. Spurs won. Uh, Wolves nil. Leeds United won. And uh, if I can get to the championship, well. Dan, won. you've been keeping an eye on the Blackfield championship. Blackpool won Coventry two. A goal fest. Three goal. Yeah. Uh, and the uh, Lions and Luke Nadia brought involved. Middlesbrough beating Preston 1 0. That's a significant scoreline. Middlesbrough going for promotion. And uh, yeah, Watford yeah. won it up against Wigan. We could get through the rest of the scores later on, but not, not, not a massively high scoring championship. L- loads to get through after the break. Football on Off the Ball. With Sky. Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, Scottish Premiership, and much more live on Sky Sports. Yeah, you're welcome back. Um, Meath won two, Dublin won eleven in uh, Park Talshan. Um, so the woes of uh, much of Leinster football really go on. And uh, just to give you a Six Nations score as well, if we have it in the France v Wales game, obviously thirty four twelve France uh, lead Wales uh, at the moment. George North with uh, Wales first try, and we're obviously building up to the big one uh, at Lansdowne Road. And uh, just to reiterate the scores uh, in the Premier League: Aston Villa one nil v Bournemouth, Brentford one nil at home to Leicester City, Southampton nil, Spurs one. Uh, Wolves nil Leeds once very much a League of Ireland feel to those scores a lot of one nils and uh, I should mention the League of Ireland as well in the first division um, Bray have gotten a goal back against Watford who are now down to 10 men so um, yeah Bray Wanderers um, your old club under Ian Ryan these days yeah yeah um, tough fight to against full time teams to get out of the first division that obviously is you would know yeah when, when I was managing Bray for the three years I was in the first division it was a uh, it shells obviously, you know, determined. He came, went up, and came back down, and went back up again. Uh, you had your your, your Warford and Galway United full time, and everyone's fighting to get back into the Premier, mm. um, which is understandable. But as a part time club, it, it it's hard to compete against that, you know, the resource that they have. But but at the same time, it's it's not an excuse, you know. Like you know, Damien mentioned earlier on about winnable football matches. You know, when I was manager of Longford last year, our best run of form was against the full time teams. Why? Um, well, we have players that want to be full-time footballers as well. Like you know, we had a really, good, really, you know, really good team. Um, I'm going to say well coached. Well, actually, somebody somebody <laughs> said that to me that like, uh, if you know, if Gary Cronin is a is a manager to look out for because well, it's obviously Rory Higgins because he's like, look at all the players he signed that you uh, worked with, yeah. the likes of Brandon Kavanagh, Brian Maher, um, Ryan Graydon, obviously yeah. who was excellent last night. Um, I thought Brandon did nice in his little cameo when he came on as well. Yeah, yeah, they're really good people there. Mm. You know, good fellas. I want to do well and. and uh, you are know, you now going to be a coach happy. rather than a manager, though, or where are you in terms of? Are you happy with playing the? Yeah, at yeah. the moment, yeah. Um, uh, I'm, I'm delighted to be Declan's assistant at the moment. Um, I still have ambitions to be a number one. Declan knows that, like you know. Uh, but he, he'd like you know being being, you know, the last five years being a, a, a number one as as a manager. And Declan obviously was with Derry, but he's had a gap obviously since the Derry. You know, he'd lean on me quite a bit uh, for one or two things. Um, because I've sort of been continuous along but look of he's been a great help to me I have to say he's been really really good to work for so. a bit of breaking news as well you actually gave Andrew Moore in his debut Dan's uh, beloved Andrew Moore we'll talk about Evan Ferguson but this lad isn't bad either 
He's uh, he's a, he's he's an excellent uh, technical no, footballer. No McManus. But when he first he was fifteen, <laughs> he was unbelievable. He was fifteen, and I swear to God, it was like putting on uh, you know a small little jockey at the time. He was so so slight. I was afraid of him getting hurt, you know. But he was playing and training with us with the likes of Paul Keegan, you know. Paul was towards the end of his career, and uh, when he came into training, I was a little bit tentative. Then you know Will Clarkson, he's technically good enough. Brought him in. And he was more than technically good enough. He said he's not leaving the first team training. And then, yeah, we we, we gave him his debut. We played him in, in the preseason there in, in 2020. Um, and yeah, he played a last game just before the pandemic against Wexford. He played and scored against Wexford. That was the second second first team appearance. And then the pandemic hit, and then it was gone. And, and then off the Brighton he went, and 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 he is where he is now. But an exceptional. Love to have him as part of your uh, football team. If you're a technical team, you'd love to have Andrew Moore in there. Does Evan Ferguson start against Latvia and France? Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts? So the squad was named. I think Ryan Manning can be one of those people who was a little bit miffed at being left out. Uh, Stephen Kenny obviously has his own. Um, he obviously obviously likes Odell a lot. There are a few, maybe a couple of players. Obviously, a couple of high-profile players left out. What did you make of it all? And big, big. Uh, what have we got? Nine days ahead for this Ireland team. Yeah. Look, I mean, it's. I mean, Stephen Kenny knows what he's doing. He's done his homework. He has people in the background doing their homework. Um, for me, when you're picking an international squad, and I'm not an international manager. Is not yet, any. Yeah, you look for form, don't you? You look for players that are playing. Um, obviously, they can be key players around that. That if they're not playing, they're injured and coming back there, they're going to make an impact. But um, you know, you want fellas that are informed, are playing well for the clubs, and uh, you know they're going to have an impact then when the international window comes along. And you know the one thing you know you'd like to see. Like I look at our forward line, and and I was looking at we we don't have a huge amount of goals at club level. Like you know I think Will Keane has has double figures for for his club at the moment, um, but we don't have a huge amount of goals. Yeah, Scott Hogan as well. But like again, just that. Mm. You know. Yeah, it's 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 that. But at the same, like you look at Evan for example, he's playing at Premiership level, um, and you know doing quite well. I, I, look, I mean, I think Evan is going to go far in the game and. Uh, it's just come sooner for him than it has for other players. But yeah, he'd be the type of player that I, I, I would like to see playing. Um, yeah, I think Smallbone's a player. I think that that could be a very interesting going forward as well. Damo, what did you make of uh, the squad announce? And um, I mean, I think you've been fascinating on the whole Stephen Kenny thing. I, I, at the moment, I'm like, it's not really about Stephen Kenny. It's about Ireland actually developing as a team and doing well in this tournament. But hopes are high because of Evan Ferguson to an extent. Absolutely, he could be the um, he could be the knight in shining armor. You know, the the focal point, depending on how Stephen uses him. I know that he has this quite a specific role that he plays at Brighton. Uh, I've watched a good chunk of the Brighton games, and Brighton are so easy on the eye, mm. and they move the ball so well. Um, and 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 Evan basically just has to hold his position while all the the bits and pieces are going on around him, and they find him when they need him. If you know what I mean, they they, they don't just lump aimless balls up to him or expect him to run channels or, or, or give him really awkward balls to deal with you know it's move through thirds of the pitch and they're finding his feet and they're playing to his strengths because he's well able to hold the ball up when the ball comes into his feet we've seen that time and time again bringing other people into play um, conserving his energy and then they move the ball wide to the, the outstanding wide players they have Solly March has been um, exceptional for, for, for Brighton the last number of weeks I've, I've, I've covered a number of their games and the other boy Matoma on the other side as yeah. well so they're doing all the bits and pieces around him and then crosses are coming in the box um, and he's been sharp you know he's not 
the, you know, they're not using him to chase lost causes. Um, and, you know, he's wrecked tired running after things and fighting and arguing and battling with centre halves. Um, so, you know, if, if he plays, you know, Stephen has been playing this 3 5 2 formation. Does he play up front in, in a pair? How will that work out for him? Will it be a nine with a 10 saying and around him? Or will he put him up front with the likes of a, an Ogbene to do the running or, or, or an Obafemi or, or, or whatever it might be? Um, you know, a runner of that description. So um, it'll be, it remains to be seen how he uses him. But look, having someone who's playing regularly in the Premier League um, and scoring goals can, can only be a, a positive thing. Um, and he could be the difference that turns a few of those tight games for Stephen into wins. I think, Dan, as well, what Dan was saying there, he's playing in a team where he's just so involved in, in, in the way they play attacking and he's doing so many different things. But the Latvia game, how close is that to the French team, do you think? Oh, like, I mean, oh sorry the team that plays against Latvia yeah. oh no relation at all yeah. no like that, that's been said from the start like, I, I think the interesting thing about Latvia is that like, we're watching Pedro Porro score for Spurs you know, he's effectively taking Matt Doherty's spot with him going to Madrid like Matt Doherty hasn't played mm. Nathan Collins is on the bench again today mm. um, so I, I think there's probably a balance now between probably need to get Matt Doherty some minutes but no, when this game was organised Kenny was pretty clear he wasn't going to be playing any front line players at all against mm. Latvia now I, I, I wonder will that change a bit do you want to get Evan Ferguson in and as Damien points out like try and see how he how he works in your system albeit I mean Latvia is going to be such a completely different threat and opponent to France I'm not sure how relevant that is in terms of I suppose as a coach maybe you'll know like there's probably things you can try and do within that game but if you're playing at a completely different level of opponent in the next match how do you really replicate it there's little things you can do but clearly you know off the ball against France there's going to be different questions asked of you than there would be by Latvia um, but like they are they are sort of key key questions alright I think you'll probably see Smallbone play against Latvia you'll probably see Mikey Johnston involved against Latvia um, but does he want to play a couple of the lads who haven't been playing regularly just to try and get some minutes under the belt I think beyond that you won't see you won't be seeing uh, I'd be surprised if you saw John Egan or Darrow Shea or Malumbi or, or these lads who are Josh playing, Cullen playing who are playing regularly who you expect to play I just think it's too much of a too much of a risk to be honest but the broader squad debate yeah like I I, I I generally like I wasn't I wasn't covering a squad announcement this week, but I saw people like jumping up and down, getting energized, like fuming over like Ryan Manning isn't in the squad. It's like I, I actually would have thought Robbie, I would have thought Robbie Brady would have been a yeah, bigger, bigger yeah. talking point. Um, but like I, there's that balance between you pick players on form, but I think sometimes people when it comes to international squads completely take their eye off you know the previous matches and like Stephen Kenny as a manager is trying to build a settled team now I think he's made mistakes before I think probably one of his biggest mistakes in the job was the game in Armenia away where he played Robinson and Ogbeni who'd done well from the previous mm. window but they hadn't played in so long and it was he was too loud but like he was pretty clear in November that Callum O'Dowd had come in and played and he liked him and his sort of style for left wing back is in tune for what he wants in that position is he so ahead of the pecking so, order now? so it's no surprise to me that Callum O'Dowd is in the squad the other day so who, who Ryan start- Manning's been in the squad and around the squad before mm-hmm. he knows the type of player he is I think Odette will, left back, I think left Odette will play yeah? yeah I think Odette will play against France I think McLean if Ender Stevens had been fit you kind of wonder Like mm. I, I thought that he wouldn't have to leave one out because Ender Stevens was out mm. but I thought there was a possibility of a tough choice I didn't for a second expect Ryan Manning to come in um, yeah. because of the ones that were there can, can I ask you he's a good player Ryan Manning I'm just saying yeah. that if you're following the, the Kenny's trajectory and his decisions like it was clear Ryan Manning wasn't going to be in the squad can, can I ask you if you were the Ireland manager what system would you play going forward with the players you have or would you stick with the three at the back no 
That, and that's just a per- personal preference. Why? Um, it's 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 the way I see the way my teams would play. Like you know, it's you know, or four five one four two three. Uh, uh, looks, I'm, I'm a back four man. Like mm. you know, and there's ways around what way you use your centre backs and and who may drop in if they were going forward, and and what way you may use your full backs and so on. But a lot of coaches now are going to these the, the three centre backs and when they're defending defending the five. I've seen it. We played against it. The balls against against Duffer Shells at Talca Park. You know they have five without the ball. They've two, and they're nearly sacrifi- sacrificing their their three v two in the middle of their um, the, the middle of the park to have numbers uh, in their back five when they're, they're defending. And then when they're changing that to an attack, they have three three forward players playing two two hold midfielders and and wing backs slash slash five. So in 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 attack you have your your three centre backs and then your four across the middle. Your wing back your wing backs come up and you still have your three up front. So I, I feel a lot of coaches, a lot of managers want to get those numbers of players in forward areas. Like you know, can I follow on from that then? If yeah. if you're playing your four at the back, how do you fit Evan Ferguson in? Who do you play up front with them? If you're playing, so what, you, what formation do you play if you're four at the back with Evan Ferguson? I, I, I play him as an out and out nine. Like you mentioned, Damien talked about Brighton there. I, I watched Brighton there recently against against Leeds, and how he didn't win the game is beyond me. Mm. To create so many chances, and um, I think there's some centre forwards. Do, I mean, let's be honest now. The default system of football now is four three three. Everyone sort of knows that one, um, and sometimes. Uh, an argument I had over the last couple of years is that we're producing less strikers and less goal scorers because four four two when I was growing up it was always two strikers you're producing and now it's like you're producing that one striker that can that can score goals because a lot of the systems now has that one up top. Now for me, I like varying different ways to you know to play within that system. But if you're asking me about Evan Ferguson, where does he play? He plays up top as the nine. Leeds are tuning up at Wolves. Jamo, come in on that. Um, yeah, like I mean, you know, I, I, my thoughts on the three-five-two have, have, have been well talked about. I've, I've placed my hat on McGazer. I don't like it as mm. a system. I don't think that you know. I look at Stephen's managerial record. I, I, I stand to be corrected, but I don't think he's played that anywhere he's ever been. Um, you know, and there's been a sudden shift to it, and he seems wedded to it now, um, even though results are different. But with three-five-two, I think like. It, it's not a bad system when we play France. Um, you know, I think it's a good system when we play against the bigger boys and that's why we've got some half-decent performances because it becomes a flat-back five and the wide players become... It becomes 5 four um, one is what I'm trying to say. So your wingers come back and you get five defenders, which is bodies. You get a flat midfield four and one up front and it's a decent enough counter-attacking um, system. But when you play against you know the Armenians or the Norways of this world that you know you should be beating or they're in around your level I don't like it as a system I think um, you know trying to dominate you have to dominate the ball to give your wing backs chances to get up the pitch otherwise you get they, you get pinned in and Armenia pinned us in in the away game because of that system now we, there's variations on it we can ask your outside centre backs to step in which Nathan Collins does um, really effectively and creates extra midfield player but I just don't fancy it as a system I really think it's it's easy to play against um, if, you're, if you know you're playing against a 3-5-2 you know there's, there's things you can do like pushing your, your wide players on to pin the wing back in and all of a sudden the flat back five you can't get out so um, I, I don't I just personally I'm with Gaz I, I don't like it as a system um, just, but Stephen seems to be ready to it yeah just just to add on, on that as well for for me if, if you like to have exciting football and, and you have a system like that if you have out and out wingers and I'm not going to name wingers there's, there's wingers within the league that you know, won't sign for certain teams because of the system that they play. Really? So if you have, a, you know, a manager that's predominantly playing a system of three centre-backs, you're taken away from other areas of the park. Where, so if you're an out-and-out winger, basically 
you're not going to play in a three-five-two system because you have to anymore. To, well, you have. Well, that's yeah, the Well, Mikey Johnston. The whole point about Mikey Johnston, he brought in Kenny. has said he wants a particular type of winger. But to me, I'm then curious, like where he actually. You're, are you asking them to play wide and like a three-four-three, three, or to be one of the two behind a striker? If you know yeah. what I mean, I yeah. think that's. That's it can be, but if you're now, yeah, if you're now, if you're now now winger, you don't really like to be playing on the inside spaces. So uh, the way I look at it is, is that if you're an out and out winger, you got to play with a fullback behind you, because um, out and out wingers won't have the defensive qualities that you will need, particularly at international level. So um, that's yeah, that's my thoughts. Yeah, it's always supposed to be Callum O'Doda to play at left wing back if he decides to play him at left wing back. You know, he's, you know, you've got to bear in mind if you're playing against France, you're going to be pinned in as a back five. You know, and he's going to have to be extremely diligent um, with his defensive work, and he will then only get sporadic opportunities to to to, to break and get up the field, and it's going to be isolated. You know, I can't imagine there's going to be too many times where we dominate the ball in midfield, and it allows the wing backs to progress up the pitch into advanced positions and then we work it out to them you know it's going to be very very uh, breakaway stuff um, so I, I, would, I would presume that James McLean um, will, will play at left wing back because James you know is probably more defensive minded than Callum Adota would I you know Dan you can come in there Southampton have equalised against yeah, uh, Shea Adams Spurs scored just after half time but um, no like, yeah I, I think that's obviously the discussion I think I think definitely I think that even as Damien explains it sort of outlines why the more athletic like Odetta probably has McLean is a great engine as well Odetta's younger you know he's a couple of years younger so you can see why they're the two that are probably in the squad there's no real suggestion he's going to play four at the back all of a sudden no I wouldn't have thought so Uh, versus no in fact he was asked directly about that and he said no so unless I mean listen you could be springing a surprise but I think as Damien sort of mentions funny enough the way the year shapes up for Ireland like they're in this nightmare group but it may well be as a consequence that the system they play is better suited to probably a number of games they play you know mm. particularly the, the two France games and the, the Holland game later in the year ironically enough it's the game it's against somewhere like Greece you know games that Ireland need to win where then you have these concerns again over actually how do you go and win that game and maybe by bringing someone like Johnson into the squad is are they going to try and vary it and mix it up at certain times mm. but I think it's hard to do that um, and look, these are all highly coached players at a level. They're probably all looking at Ryan Manning, for example. Like he has played in a back three and a back four this season, you know. And I think Cardiff have done a little bit. Some other teams they change a lot, but maybe, maybe he's decided after all the chopping and changing of his first couple of years that he's just going to stick with a system. He's built the squad and just go with it, and you live or well, die with it. Here's a question for you, so Dan. Right, so when he first got the job for the the playoffs, he did play a kind of a four-two-three-one, you know, yeah. right the start. And then Anthony Barry comes in, and all of a sudden, now Ireland are playing three-four three right and then he stuck with that for a little bit and then that seems to have morphed into three five two because i think it was so obvious that like the three four three um was difficult with two midfield yeah. players against opposition yeah. threes so all of a sudden now he's gone okay we need to go three in midfield which then means you have to play two up front and i just wondered like the thought process behind it is it being kind of made up as he goes along almost like you know I like 3-4-3 and all of a sudden well, we're not getting results with that and teams seem to get a lot of joy against us possession wise and you know we can't seem to dominate the ball we need three in midfield to match up teams all of a sudden okay we put three at the back three in midfield well then you have to play two up front it becomes it's morphed into 3-5-2 um, and I just wonder you know is 3-5-2 the the system that Stephen has always played in Dundalk when, when, when he had those great European runs you know it was predominantly a kind of a, a four four five one basically four three four three, three, three. Well, I think yeah, I think four, three, three, yeah. yeah 
No, I think I think you know, there is. You could definitely raise the question: Has it been a bit reactive to circumstances at that's, time? That's like, like, like the, the one, like the, like the one thing I would say. Like Kenny has made this point. Like, maybe at the moment Ireland doesn't have a great crop of like out and out wingers like yeah. you know what I mean and and maybe there's a little bit of well we're playing the system that suits, you know, gets Matt Doherty in his best position which would have been a talking point previously you know and if like you know he's big on Mikey Johnson previously he's like across Stephen's career actually I would associate him with wingers you know at various clubs like Darryl Michael Duffy so Daryl Horgan mm. Paddy McCourty even go back in time and, and other examples um, but he, maybe with Ireland he's felt he hasn't had the winger option so you go with a system that sort of takes the wingers out of the equation. Um, Sorry, Dan. As well, if we're playing, but is he five, acting against? Is in? I think what they, is he acting well, against his instincts? Reactively, like, his, his well, instincts as a coach. Down, you're going yeah. down a dangerous, a dangerous road there now. When you think, well, I have Matt Doherty, he's a right wing back, so I want to play him. Seamus can play right side of three. Well, that solves that problem for me. We've an abundance of centre backs. You know, it's probably one position we are actually stacked with with really, really good players. Mm. So rather than having to drop one, I get him in, and and all of a sudden you start creating. You know circles to fit circles in and it's like that's all nice and all of a sudden you're kind of going well it looks natural like it's 3-5-2 but it might not be the best system well say, say now Damo um, like say now we, we don't have an obvious right wing back in the sense of Matt Doherty's not playing club level Seamus Coleman isn't quick enough to, uh, anymore to be really a wing back Doherty will play Doherty and Doherty will play but he's not so you, you, you've sort of made of um, it, it looked really suitable to have wing backs not that long ago but now like Doherty's obviously going to be the starting wing back but it's like well he's not even playing at club level yeah, I mean, I, I look, I just think that you have to pick your system as a manager. You have to have a system that you're intimate with, that you mm. know inside out. And, you know, if, player, if a player comes and asks you a question, you can answer it straight away because you know it inside out, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's, why, that's why two should play that system at Chelsea, 3-4-3, three, three, yeah. just have it all locked down. But, I mean, once you start getting away from what you're, you know, sold on and you start picking shapes and teams just to suit players you know it can get very very messy and get out of hand very quick yeah br- briefly on that guys like have you been uh, I mean you, you can't just be you can't have a rigid philosophy because obviously the game's evolving but you see what Damien is saying there as well yeah 100% look mm. you, you know it's you start out you put a shape you know you see on this, the analyst put a shape out on, on your team to start but your, your system is adaptable throughout the game you know you could be defending in a 4-1 situation but you're attacking with a two two centre backs holding yeah. and a sitting midfielder we all know that like you know but if you're looking to try and win a game of football uh, and you're playing against a team that maybe of lesser or you're expected to win you got to have five to seven attack minded players in your team it's as simple mm. as that like you know and two of those could be full backs you have to now if you're looking to get a result out of let's say maybe France or, or, or whatever you, you know and you feel that the opposition is going to have more, more football well then you're going to have to have numbers and that's where Ferguson's point yeah. is big because he's probably learned a bit okay win the three five two or whatever you want to call it there was the thing of Paris and Obafemi and then Parrot would be more to the left like do, do, do little understandings but mm. now you bring Evan Ferguson into the mix and do you have to sort of rethink your attacking strategy again, you know, and this is—I think you do. I, of course, you do. But then that's a, that's a job now. Like you've actually learned something, and you probably have to tweak it. Who who suits him best? Which is sort of Damien and we, we, we will we will be back next Saturday. We're actually running out of time here. We will be back next Saturday before obviously the um, the France game, and we'll discuss this more. We'll probably know obviously a bit more than after the Latvia game in terms of this or that. Um, but you know, just just to finish up uh, today because we are counting down to the rugby. 
would it annoy you if you're in um, Vincent Company's shoes and you're being touted as this oh he's the next managerial uh, you know he's going to definitely manage Man City down the line by Pep Guardiola Vincent Company um, I was just actually staggered by reading this day in the Guardian Burnley were the same odds to get relegated as they were to win the league and they're running away with the championship with Josh Cullen um, hugely instrumental Kevin Kilban wrote about it again today just speaking about the, the Cullen always looking for the ball in every situation I would argue probably Ireland's first player on the team sheet possibly f- full stop at this stage um, so company now goes over there's a statue of him outside the ground but obviously he's playing uh, Man City in the FA Cup uh, look but, uh, I wouldn't pay mu- too much heed but I'm sure he hasn't paid too much heed to that like mm. it's noise outside of what he has to do because when you're, when you're a manager like you're, you're fully focused on, on, on what you have to do in relation to the next game and so on that. so people saying that he's going to be the next Man City manager I don't think he'd be taking heed but I actually think if there was going to be an upset in the FA Cup this week, uh, this weekend, that it could be that game. Uh, of course, everyone expects Man City to win the talent that they have, but for one player or for one person to know what Man City are all about, and, the, and I'm talking about the finer detail. I'm not just talking about what we, what we all see. There's finer detail that Vincent Company. I would feel that he's privy to that nobody else would be, and that could be a difference. Could be. Yeah, yeah, that's fair <laughs> you enough. Never, never know. Uh, Wolves won, Leeds three. Jack Harrison, Luke Ailey, and uh, Christensen. Peter Collins on a half time in that game, by the way. They Interesting. Yeah. So that that mightn't be a bad thing either. They're under duress, so bring on Nathan Collins. Well, they've considered two goals since he came on, so that's a slight issue. Mm. But they've, they've, they're uh, they're. <laughs> Slice. <laughs> well, I'm just. Might have been nothing. I'm just bringing the facts to the situation here, Johnny. I'm not. I'm not adding comment. I'm just. Just you were suggesting that he's come on at three one. At least, at least know. he's gotten his place back to an extent. Anyway, off Craig Dawson, so yeah, longer term. We wouldn't have been thinking that to be fair. Not that long ago, it's Brentford one, Leicester one, um, Southampton nil, Spurs. Uh, sorry, Southampton one, Spurs one. Uh, it's two now actually. Kane, Spurs have just scored. Harry Kane yeah. could have declared for Ireland, of course. Um, Aston Villa one, Bournemouth nil. Briefly, demo. Um, yeah, the Vincent Company story is fascinating really and today is going to be fascinating oh, it's a great day for him personally you know but he, he strikes me as the type of individual that won't get um, carried away by it he'll be fully focused on, on the job at hand going there um, with regards to him being told of a city job that's obviously natural that won't bother somebody like Pep Guardiola at all um, on top of that Vincent Company probably knows he's miles away from a job of that magnitude um, you know he would have to get Burnley into the Premier League and then perform admirably um, you know for, for him to, to merit you know, talk of that, but he's done an outrageous job in the championship. I mean, I don't know what the records are. I remember a number of years ago, Reading were promoted mm. uh, Kev- when Kevin Doyle went over. I remember playing Steve against Coppel, that, wasn't it? Steve Coppel mm. Reading team, and I think they were up, they were up or nearly up by Paddy's day, and I think they got well over a hundred points. Um, but Vincent Company, I think, is going to obliterate all that. To be honest with you, because I think they're 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 as good as as um, as promoted. You know, they're on eighty three points, the nineteen points clear. You know, I think it's Middlesbrough or or somebody Blackburn maybe below that would nearly have to go win every game to catch them. So I mean, they're as good as promoted no just not mathematically and no it'll just be about the record with, with that Reading team that's the best one I can remember I'm sure if you go back further there will be there will be more but um, it's an, an incredible achievement for them they've just been an absolute juggernaut in the league that to maintain those standards um, with the amount of football you to play in that division and the physicality and the physical demands of, of, of that league um, is brilliant for them uh, we're, today we're brought to you by Sky you get all the football you love in one place across Sky Sports BT Sport and Premier Sports thank you a million for being on Demo thanks lads um, just very briefly you're flying flying really really high um, but obviously keeping your feet in the ground at Daily Mount 
Yep, take each game as it comes. It's international break week now, so we no game next weekend, and the league, um, the Premier League starts off. Then the following week, we'll have uh, Sligo away on the Saturday. So the games before, we'll, we'll know what's up. But we're not. Look, it's nice to be on top of the table, but that's all it is. It's it's six games in. Um, obviously, at the start of the season, we're, we're very much in our infancy. You know, it's it's a squad that Declan's put together in an off season. A lot of players getting to know each other. But one thing we're trying to drill home throughout the whole lot is that while we're getting to know each other, while we're getting to know me, what way we like to coach Declan, what way he likes to play, and you know, in relation to with and without the ball, while all that's going on, there's no excuses in relation to results. The results doesn't give you that sort of platform to say, listen, you have. You have a year to do it. You have to get results along the way. And that's what's driving us forward at the moment. Going, look, when things aren't going to plan on the pitch, which in every game there's been periods where things haven't gone to plan, is that the lads understand that we have to, they have to find their own way, ways through certain situations on the pitch. Uh, and ultimately, at the end of it, we have to come out with a result that, you know, at a certain, after a certain amount of games played, you say that's an acceptable number of points. Obviously, six games in, 15 points out of 18 is, 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 is a good return. But that's all it is at the moment, and uh, yeah, everyone will be able to try and beat us, obviously. Dan, they've had, very briefly they've made it interesting. Yeah, I mean, like they've started the season very well. I don't want to go into Gary mode, but yes, yes. Gary, you're yeah. supposed to say, "Yeah, we're keeping our feet in the ground." You give me a minute spiel of like oh, we have to get results. You actually gave a yeah, nice I mean, clobber, by the way. Yeah, he gave, yeah. He gave yeah. a, more, a more detailed answer. Yeah. I know, like it's it's so different. Feet on the ground. I think. <laughs> yeah, I think the point is like it's it's sort of mad. What are ten points ahead of Shamrock Rovers this stage, which is yeah. sort of insane. But like you know, even the 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 international break now. Like again, how clubs? Uh, I don't know. You do that in special. Are you just training as normal. Do you give the lads a few days off, or what way you handle it? Well, mo- mo- most clubs be given a couple of days off, uh, and then you just go back into training mode, like you yeah. know, um, early next week, and and uh, off we go. Now, there's a he- there's a heavy schedule then. Like I mean, Easter weekend's crazy. Like can we have Rovers, Rovers, Shamrock Rovers, yeah. You've Rovers, Shamrock Rovers, Derry, and Derry, and on the Easter Monday, and Pats on the Friday, then yeah. Pats on the Friday. So there's hashtag yeah. easy. Yeah, that that sums up why it's uh, such a fun league. Thanks a million for coming in. <laughs> No problem. And yeah, we'll get Pleasure. you again. And yeah, absolutely, uh, yeah. And really enjoyed it. Thanks. thanks a million, guys. Yeah, we are counting down to a certain rugby game. Football on Off the Ball. With Sky. Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, Scottish Premiership, and much more live on Sky Sports.